Uh, this is part two, really, of the shear that I gave last week, which deals with the different realities. So I'm just going to uh, sort of like uh, recap just some of the critical ideas of last week's shear and then continue. Um, I mean, what, the, what, what I'm really trying to say uh, and, and that's really what the theme of this year is, is what exactly is the climate or the environment uh, of the Messianic era? That's what I will uh, speak about. And also, uh, a very important or very uh, interesting understanding of how does the Rabbanu alert everybody that the Mashiach is here? Because if you think about it, <clears throat> the Jews in Egypt, they were in one country, all of them, and they were uh, with one ruler, Paroi, you see? So the Rabbanu could defy uh, Paroi. He was one ruler, which he did, and he brought the Marcus, and he took the Jews out of that one country. Today, however, when you think about it, the Jews are not in one country. They are spread all over the globe. The Jews, let's say about 14 or maybe 15 million, are the most dispersed nation on earth. It's astounding how all Jews are spread all over. You know, I, I like to joke around and say, if you went to Tahiti, you'd probably find a Jew that owns a grocery store, you know, and, and, and so on. It's just astounding, amazing how the Jews are so spread out throughout the entire world. And not only that, <clears throat> their languages are all different since they're all over the world. I mean, Jews speak all kinds of languages, French, English, Italian. So we're not talking here about a commonality in language. Their dress is different, right? Uh, the way they go dressed in Italy uh, would probably be different to where they could dress in Afghanistan because uh, there was a Jewish population there, you know? And their names are different. <clears throat> so at least in Mitzrayim, you had all that. You know, you had all the... They kept the Jewish names. They kept the, uh, the, the, the names, the language, and the dress, and so on, you know? But the goals of today is very different than the goals of Mitzrayim, you see? So the question then is, how is the Rebunishlam going to take everybody out? That is the question. And this week's parasha is Nitzavim, where it actually says, even if you're outcasts, be at the ends of heaven, from there I will gather you, and from there I will take you to me. How? That is the question. So I'd like to deal with that idea and try to offer uh, the idea of how it will be. But in essence, really, we have to understand what is the environment and what is the climate that happens when Mashiach comes, or actually even before. So, um, last week I had mentioned that there are five realities in creation, that the creation has five realities, I mentioned you know, from top down, or from the highest to the lowest, you have Oilam uh, Habo, which, by the way, in Kabbalah is called Odom Kadmoim, 
primordial man. That's the level of reality, which is really Olim Habo, future world. They, then you have underneath that, this world, Olim Hazeb, and that has four realities. You have Atzilus, uh, which the only thing that inhabits that reality is the uh, presence of God at a certain level of revelation. Then underneath you have that, you have Bria, uh, world of creation. Underneath that, you have Yitzira, formation. And then underneath that, you have Asiya, which is the world of action. And that itself is subdivided into what's called the Olam HaShofel, which is the lower world, which is our world, our physical world. And by the way, that physical world, according to scientists, is 13.7 billion light years. That's called Olam HaShofel, the lower world, you see. But you have that, and then you have what's called the seven heavens, Shivam Rakiyam. But anyway, so that's it. Those are the five realities. Now, what distinguishes each reality, other than the inhabitants of these realities, is the level of gilu, of revelation of the presence of God, the Shechina, the divine presence. At each different level of reality, right, the, the uh, presence of the Rabbanisham appears differently. It's the same, obviously the same Shechina, but there's a different level of intensity of the Shechina, you see. And obviously the highest level of war, which is incomprehensible to us, is Odom Kadmoin, which is Odom Habo. So the presence of God at that level is beyond, is beyond comprehension. And then in Oilam Hazer, which has four levels, it, in Atsilas is a very high level. And then it goes lower until you get to the Atsilas, our world, where the presence of God basically is absent, and we can only discern God based on his works, what he created. But in any case, you know, so you have that idea. Then I mentioned also that a Jew has an Ishama, a soul, which has five parts, and each part is connected to one of the realities. So we have the nefesh, which is part of the neshama, right, which is connected to asiya. And then we have um, ruach, which is connected to yitzira, which already becomes spiritual, you see. And then you have neshama, which is a specific part, besides the collective called neshama, the neshama also refers to a specific part, and that is connected to Bria. And then you have Chayo. That part is connected to uh, Atsilos. And then you have Yechido, which is the highest part of the neshama, and that is connected or linked to Adam Kadmoin, which is Adam Habo. There you are. So you have the five parts of the neshama that are connected to the five parts of reality. And those are the realities that God created. Okay? One of them being the future world, and four of them being Ulam Hazer. And these are very important ideas. Also, I had mentioned the phenomenon called prophecy, where a person would engage in a certain activity or procedure, and he would go into a trance, and he would see into the world of Axilus. And that's called prophecy. Okay, and all prophets, basically, except the last ones, 
were able to stand in, you know, at a certain point, it was called as if they were standing in Bria. So therefore, their Nishama was activated, you see, that part of their Nishama, and they were able to look into Atsilas, you see. And depending on the Novi, he would have a certain distance from looking into Atsilas. And I mentioned Meshabeinu was the closest ever to see from Bria into Atsilas. Anyway, different Nevi'im saw from different standpoints at a particular place into Atsilas. And finally, Yechezkel, I mentioned, Yechezkel stood in his standpoint was uh, the Olim uh, Yetzirah. But he also could look into Atsilas, but from a very far place, you see. In any case, uh, this is what I mentioned uh, last week. And these are really very important ideas because they give you the feel of all kinds of spiritual phenomena. Now, all the worlds are spiritual, basically, you see, except Asiya, which is the lowest world. So the Olema Shofel, or Shofel, which is a physical world, obviously that's physical, which is not spiritual. But spirituality really begins at the level of Yitzira. Okay, anyway, that's basically the uh, summary uh, of the last year. Now, I had ended the last year, um, actually, before I forget, uh, I want to dedicate the shir, it should be for Aliyah's Neshama, the scent of the soul, of uh, a woman, Rini Moko, Regina Bas Yosef Reuven, that her Neshama should have an Aliyah uh, because of the, uh, the shir itself. Anyway... Now, I mentioned last week a very important idea. And from that begins the whole uh, environment of the Mashiach. And that is that the Beis HaMidosh, and there is a Beis HaMidosh in the Milo. In fact, there's a whole Jerusalem in the Milo. But there's a Beis HaMidosh in the Milo that exactly corresponds to the Beis HaMidosh in the Exactly. And what's interesting is that the Shechina, I had mentioned two very important points, that the Shechina enters the reality based in the Neshama itself. Because it says, and I will dwell in their midst. Not I will dwell in it, the temple, but I will dwell in their midst, which means that the entry point or the portal of the Shechina into the all the realities is basically through the soul of the Jewish people, the neshama of the Jewish people. And that's a very important idea. Now, the Shechina enters into the Beis HaMikdash Lamayla, which is the upper temple. And from that, it goes into the lower temple, which is our temple. And from there, it resides, and that is the Shechina Tas. What happens in the Messianic era, by the way, before Mashiach ben David arrives, when the Mashiach ben David arrives, the Beis HaMikdash is already standing. A lot of people don't realize that. They think that, you know, the Beis HaMikdash is built in the time of Mashiach ben David. Not really. It's built in the time of Mashiach ben Yosef. That's one of his jobs, 
is to build a base amigdosh. In any case, <clears throat> that is a very, in many ways, a very for, important idea. But what is the base amigdosh shlishi? What is the third base amigdosh? I mentioned it is a portal of the shechina <clears throat> to come down to the earth. That's really what it is. Okay? And um, so what happens is that the, the upper base hamigdash, which is the base hamigdash hashlishi, or the maila, that, that itself descends. It becomes physicalized. Yes. So you're actually having the base hamigdash lemaila, the upper temple, that descends, and that's what they talk about, that the base hamigdash will be built by God. It descends exactly where the base hamigdash used to be, and therefore, and it remains a portal for the shechina. But what is interesting is that that portal for the shechina, the level of intensity of the shechina is not the level of intensity of the Shechina when the Beis Amigdash was physical, you know, for all the uh, 800 and whatever years. The level, of, the level of intensity of the Shechina in the Beis Amigdash HaShlishi is the level of Ruach, or rather the level of Yitzira. And we have no idea what that is. It, we cannot even imagine what is, what, what is the level of intensity or presence of God as he appears or manifests himself in Olim Yetzirah, which is right above Yetzirah. We do not know what that is. But when that third base Amigdash, when that base Amigdash, the Milo descends, it descends to earth and becomes physical, but it, re, it, becomes, it, be, it remains as a portal, as a gate, to which God now occupies the base Amigdash in Jerusalem. But what is amazing is that the level of intensity of that Shekhinah is the level of intensity that you would encounter in a spiritual world called Olim You see, that's the incredible thing. So for the first time in history, you can actually feel the Rabbana Shalom at a level that no man has ever experienced, you see. Remember, it's one thing to be able to become a novi, a prophet, and to be able to look into higher dimensions, right? And look into what's called the world of Atsilas, which is the highest dimension of Olam Hazel, of this world. But it's another thing where that itself descends to the earth, and then you are able to experience the Shechina at the level of Yitzhira. So we really have no idea what that means. But when you do understand that, there are many things that are answered. You know, it says in, in, the, in the Torah, the Eshperich Ruchi al-Kolboso, and I will pour out my heart, or rather my spirit, on all flesh. You see? So God is referring to himself as Ruchi, my spirit. I will pour out my spirit, right, on all flesh. What is the level of intensity of Ruchi? And the answer is, we know. Because our Ruach, which is the 
second part of the neshama is connected to Oilim Yitzira. Therefore, God's manifestation in that world of Oilim Yitzira, right, is called Ruchi. That is the Spirit of God. So it comes out that God will manifest His Spirit at the level of Yitzira, actually in the third base of Megdush. And we will experience that. And that's why the Spirit of God at, at the level of, of, of Yitzira is called Ruchi, you see. In fact, it says that God will appear, not with strength and might, but with my spirit. It refers to the exact same thing, that this is Oilim Yitzira, you see. And therefore, for the first time in history, God's presence at the level of Oilim Yitzira will descend to the earth, to our world in Yerushalayim, and that will pervade the entire planet, which is really a very, very important idea, you see. Now, it also says, you know, and in the beginning by Bracious, <coughs> Bracious Borlakim, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and, it says, and then it says, and the earth was unformed and void, empty, right? And, and, uh, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, second post of And then it says, Veruach Lokim, and the Spirit of God, Merachefes, hovers over the waters. And we now begin to understand what Ruach Elokim is. You see, Ruach Elokim, in the normal pshat, is the level of intensity of God at Oilim Yitzira, and that hovered over the face of the waters, you see. But also, as the Balaturim points out, the commentary on the Torah, that the gematria, the numerical value of the letters, Ruach HaRakim Rachefes, and the Spirit of God hovers, that gematria, or numerical value, is the following phrase, Zuhi, this is, Ruchoi, the spirit, Shomelech HaMoshiach. Therefore, we now see, right, that in the Messianic era, the level of God at the level of Ruach, which really is Oilim Yitzirah, that will be the climate, the environment, the level of intensity of Moshiach. You see? Because the, the uh, posse, the numerical value is Ruach Hashem, Right? Rachefesh hovers over the face of the deep. And that is the level of Oilim And that's also Gematria, the Mashiach. This is the spirit of the Mashiach. You see? So that level really enters the Mashiach ben Yosef. The spirit of God or the Shekhinah at the level of Ruach, which is the level of Yitzhirah. So these are very important ideas. You see? Now, what happens when that comes about? When that happens, that the Spirit of God at the level of Yitzhira enters the earth through the Bayashnishi, through the third space of Besamidrash, you see, what does this mean for us? And the answer is, this is the Orishan. This is the first light, or the Orhagonos, the concealed light, right? or the Or Mashiach. 
or the messianic light. That's really what it is. You see, it is this, the, the intensity of the level of God when it is expressed as it would, what is in Ilam Yitzira, right? When that pervades the entire earth, that is the Or Mashiach. Interesting, isn't it? See? And that's what it means in the Apostle in the Novi. Kimola Oret Deo. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the seabed. What is Deo? What do you mean the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God? Because that knowledge of God is the Orishan or the Messianic light. And that is God in the intensity of Ruach. And that is the presence of Oilam Habo, excuse me, Oilam Yetzirah, you see. So we now begin to understand what happens when the Mashiach comes. That we are being exposed to a different level of intensity of God's presence that we never had before. That means the entire earth changes radically. And we have no idea what that means. It's not only that there will be peace on the earth, and as it says in the Novi, you know, the lion will do, will do, do it well with the lamb or whatever. That's, that's the smallest part. But there will be a level of of uh, das, of consciousness that is beyond human imagination. And now we understand something else. We know that on uh, Shabbos, we get a Nishomi Yisera, which, which is an additional soul. Now it doesn't say in order to experience the Shabbos. We know that Nishomi Yisera. Now it doesn't say Nishomi Chadosho a new soul. <clears throat> it says in the Shami Yisera, an additional soul. That additional soul that we get on Shabbos to experience the divinity or the spirituality of Shabbos is your Neshama of Ruach. That's why it's Yisera. Because normally our Ruach, our soul, the aspect which is Ruach, we, it's not open to Yitzira. It's closed. In fact, all four of them are closed. And like I mentioned, prophecy opens up the consciousness, right, between each of these neshama, the, each of these parts of the neshama. And on Shabbos, what opens up the neshama yisera is the neshama that all of us have, or the part of the neshama, which is called ruach. That's what we get on Shabbos. And because we get the neshama of ruach, right, and it opens up, we can actually experience, although we don't see, we can experience God as he reveals himself in Oedem And by the way, and that's really, when you think about it, that's really what we experience. And you ever notice when Shabbos comes, for those who observe Shabbos, you know, that's what you have to do as a condition, something feels different. It's like something happens on Friday night that you know is different than Friday in the day. So there's something that enters the world at that point, and if you observe Shabbos, you actually feel the difference between Friday afternoon or Thursday and Friday night, which is Shabbos. 
And that is because your Nishami Sarah, which was is your Ruach, is now open or conscious of Ilim Yitzira. But the interesting thing about it is that you don't see into Ilim Yitzira, you see. Because, uh, so therefore, in, in, in a certain way, it's akin to prophecy. But you feel Ilim Yitzira in a mild way. And that's what you feel on Shabbos, you see. It's an incredible gift of God. Uh, I once gave a shear about the payments of Shabbos, and this is part of the, the understanding, you see. Uh, so we now understand what the Nishami Sarah is, right? And that's what we experience on Shabbos, you see. But when the Mashiach comes, and the level of, of, of holiness or the level of the divine presence that we will experience Right? In the time of the Mashiach, like I said, it comes through the portal of the third temple. Our Ruach will be open, literally, to Oli Metzira, which has now become part of Oli Asiya, And that's why we experience it. You see what's going on? This explains all the phenomena, phenomena of the Messianic era. And that's what it says in the Torah, and God will circumcise your heart. What does that mean? Where do these things reside? Well, the nefesh is in certain ways connected to the body, the lowest part of the soul, and it resides the nefesh, in the liver. Because right? the blood is the soul, the nefesh, and the place where you have the majority of blood is the liver. So the nefesh resides in the liver. The ruach of a person resides in the heart. The pump, the heart. The neshama, part, the part called the neshama, resides in the brain. The chayo resides, okay, hovers or envelops the entire body. It's not, it's not linked to any specific organ. And the echida is not in any way connected to the body, it hovers over the entire body itself. It just hovers there because the Yechidah is the greatest part of the Neshama because it is linked to Ilam Habo. But now it says, we see, Umol Hashem is Levavchem, and God will circumcise your heart, right? But wait a minute, what is in the heart? And the answer is, right, in the heart is the residence of Ruach. So when God circumcises the heart, which is the residence of the Ruach, which is part of your Neshama, he removes what's called the Zoyama. He removes that blockage. So all of a sudden, your heart, which has in it the residence called the Ruach, actually opens up. And it has now become conscious of what? Of God as Ruchi, which is Oedim which again is true, because that's the concept of the third base of Magnus coming down, right, and inhabiting the earth, which means that we get to experience the Ruach, God at the level of Ruach, which we now can experience because God has circumcised and removed the blockage over our hearts, our hearts, which is the residence of Ruach. You see how it all fits? Because remember, the heart is the Ruach, is the residence of the Ruach part of our Neshama. You see, and all of this is really critical. It, it actually explains exactly 
what is what is what is really uh, going on and so on. What we begin to see is something very interesting, and that is that Asiro and Yetziro seem to merge. Normally, it is Asiro, which is the world of Asiro, which has a certain level of intensity of God's presence, right? But the real thing is Yetziro. But for, but in the Messianic era, we now begin to understand the Messianic era is where the world or the dimension or the reality of Yetziro, right? actually is integrated or merges with Asiyo. You see, Asiyo still exists. You see, and Yetzirah, the dimension of Yetzirah, actually becomes part of Asiyo. So we who are now the residents of Asiyo actually now begin to feel or to experience or to be conscious of Yetzirah. And that is why we begin to see Right, we begin to experience the level, tremendous level of uh, of God at that point in time. You see, that's really what happens in the messianic era. <clears throat> you see, in any case, this, by the way, <clears throat> happened in Egypt. Martin Torah, let's take a look at Yechezkel and the maidservant. The Chazal tell us that at the Kriyas Yamsov, that at the splitting of the Red the, the Reed Sea, I should say, that a maidservant, which means the uh, lowest, uh, you know, uh, Jew in that sense, right, that she experienced a greater revelation of the presence of God. She saw more Kabbalistic ideas than Yecheskel Hanovi. Now, Yecheskel Hanovi is the one where we read about the Maisim Kova the incident of the divine chariot, which is basically the fundamental structure of the whole creation, Kabbalah. Yet she saw more, which means that at that point in time, she was able to see the level of Yetzirah, just like Yechezkel. But she was even closer to looking to Atzilus. You see? So even a maidservant, certainly all the Jews, Right, were able to experience the divine presence of Oyelim Yetziro greater than Ezekiel Yecheskel Novi. You see, and really that's what happened by Martin Torah. By Martin Torah, right? Then everybody experienced the first two commandments. Everybody became a Novi. But what happened was, is that at the Kriyat which happened seven days after they left Egypt, right? They were basically, from the standpoint of Yitzhira, looking into Atzilas. Like Yecheskel, that's why the Chazal referred to, it compares us to Yecheskel, although greater. But at Mount Torah, it was different. Because when God gave two commandments, right, he gave it to the Jews directly. Every Jew experienced God the exact same way Moshe Rabbeinu experienced God which is unbelievable. Why? Because the Torah can only be given to an individual that can see into Atsilas, but literally right up to the gate of Atsilas, just like Moshe Rabbeinu, because Torah cannot be distorted. So it has to have the clearest vision into the, uh, the divinity of the Torah. Therefore, a Jew that at Mount Torah experienced God directly 
with the first two commandments, right? I'm the Lord your God that took you out of Egypt, and you shall have no other God before me. They actually experienced those two mitzvahs at the level of Nevoah of Meshul Rabbeinu, which means that they looked into Atzilus right at the gate of Atzilus, I mean, standing in Bria, looking into Atzilus. Could you believe this? And of course, what happened? They all died. So God had to revive them. But we now see that the Jews at Mount Terror experienced, right, that level of intensity, which was beyond belief. But that is not the same as the Messianic era. Why? Because in the Messianic era, so in Mount Terror, at the giving of the Torah, right, they were still in Olam Asiyah, except they were able to have an incredible vision of standing in Bria, like Moshe Rabbeinu, and looking right into Atzilus. However, in the Messianic era, it's much greater. Why? Because then Yitzhiro, or the level of God as he is in Yitzhiro, will actually come down to Asiya. Actually come down. So you're not having a vision, and you're not going into a trance. You are actually experiencing God as he appears in that level, which is a spiritual dimension, which is beyond belief. You see, now why does God do that? Because He just doesn't, uh, He just doesn't want to take a Jew and you know and begin to take him into a different dimension. What He does is He combines the Shechina, the level of Olam Yitzira, combines it with Olam Asiya, and we actually, at this world, begins to experience God in many ways, just like the angels. You see. So we begin to realize something which is incredible, that what, we, what happens in the Messianic era is something which we cannot comprehend, because we're talking about understanding God and experiencing God in a way which nobody ever experienced, because we actually experience Yitzhira, right, in Asiyah itself, you see, because the world of Yitzhira, the Shechina of Yitzhira, Divine Presence, actually descends to Asiya. Now, we have no idea what that means. And that is what you begin to understand why the Messianic era is something that we cannot begin to imagine. Because like I say, we are actually seeing and experiencing a spiritual world actually while we are physical. You see. So, this, this is a very, very important idea. We now have some type of a handle on what will be, you see, uh, in the Messianic era. Now, now that we understand this, we can understand something else. When the Rebunishnam will, will want to begin the Messianic process, you see, which means um, that because the messianic process must have a preparation before it, which I've mentioned many times, you know, and so on, which I'll go over later. But right now, when finally the Jews, we in, in, in its which is today's Pasha, when it says that even if you're outcast, be at the ends of heaven, from there I will gather you, and from there I will take you to me, what is that? What that is, is that all of a sudden, 
every Jewish person is neshama will experience the entry of the Shekhinah through his neshama. Yes. And there will be a consciousness awakening of which we cannot even begin to comprehend. They will be, it's like waking up from a deep sleep, you see. And since Misham uh, means from the Golas, you see, that God, it's not a problem that all the Jews are spread throughout the planet, because every Jew has an Neshama in him. What God has to do is to open up the Neshama of the Jew, because remember, the Neshama itself is the portal of the Shekhinah into the Bria, into the whole creation, you see. So what all God has to do is not just meet everybody where they live. All he has to do is to open up, like God will circumcise their heart, which means he will allow them to experience God through himself. And that will awaken everybody, you see. And that's basically how it's going to happen. Now, once everybody is, is, is woken up, so to speak, then, of course, everybody's going to leave and go down to Israel, you see. And as a collective, they will now be able to go, you're going to have the Bayez Shlishi, the third base of Mignus will descend, could be at the same time that they awaken, and everybody will go to Israel and gather together because God has now appeared to every Jew again, right, in his capacity or his intensity of Ruach, you see? So there, everybody will be a, uh, will wake up in that sense, will be conscious of God through their neshama. And since the neshama is in them, therefore every Jew, no matter where he is, will be gathered. All of a sudden, he will be gathered away from the goyim. That's what Yikabetzko means. God will gather the Jews. He will separate the Jews from the goyim with this incredible consciousness, and Yikochecho, and he will take you, which means you will now go to Eretz Israel. This is a very, very important idea. So in a certain sense, we now have a feel of how this is going to happen, you see. Is each Jew will now be uh, conscious of God in his own Shammah, and therefore, he will then go to Israel. All the Jews will gather in Israel. And this will be in the time of Mashiach bin Yosef, which will be before Mashiach bin David. You see. <clears throat> now, in Mashiach bin David's time, we will have uh, an incredible pervasiveness of God as he is in Oilem Yitzirah, tremendous amount all over the planet. And there will be the, the Orishan, the Messianic light, and of course, once again, all Jews will now live in Israel. So we now have an understanding, you see. Now this is the Messianic era, you see. What happens after the Messianic era? The Messianic era ends in the year 6000, which in a, in a week, whatever, right, means there will be 218 years to go. The English year 20 to 40 is the year 6,000, right? So as a result of that, right, um, the, the Messianic era will end in the year 6,000. 
And then there will begin what's called Chad Chorov, 1,000 years of desolation, which means that the concept of Zikuch, which I've mentioned many times, that God will transform the physical world, retransform it, back into Yitzira. Exactly. In other words, Zikuch means to purify. Once 6,000 years have passed, and this is after the Messianic era, then God will purify this world, Asiyo, which means that God will remove the materialism, the Geshem, and Oilem Asiyo will become Yitzira. You see the difference? So the Messianic era is when we live in Asiyo, and we experience Yitzira, and this is the preparation for the 7,000th year, from 6 to 7, where the entire world of Asiyo, which is the entire physical universe, will turn into Oilem Yitzira, which is a completely spiritual domain. And that will be our world. And then from 7,000 to 8,000, Oilem Yitzira, where we now reside, will turn into Bria, which is a totally different spiritual world, much greater than Yitzira, which is infinitely greater than Asiya, you see. Now, from 8 to 9, right, then the world of Bria will turn into Atsilas, which is a world or a dimension which we cannot even begin to understand. It is the highest level of Atsilas, which is the highest level of, of the, the manifestation of the Shekhinah in Oilam Hazeh in this world. So it takes 3,000 years, from 6,000 to 7,000, 7,000 to 8,000, 8,000 to 9,000, and the world slowly retransforms from a physical world into a spiritual, and then it climbs even in the spiritual levels, you see. And then in the beginning of 9,001, that begins Ilm Habo, the future world. And Ilm Habo is something that is not comprehensible because the world, cha- the whole creation changes into a world where God will manifest himself in a way which is beyond belief. Everything is different. That's why we cannot even begin to imagine what Ilm Habo is. And it begins in the year 9001. So you now begin to see the evolution, you see? And you understand now what the Messianic era is. The Messianic era, you see, so the first 5,782, which we're about to enter, we are, uh, we are, uh, we say, our entire endeavor, right, is to remove the Zoyama. That's really what it's all about, see? Minus the first six hours of Adam Rishon. But when he sinned and he introduced the Zoyama, which is the petition of Tumor, the defilement of the Sutton, so that world of Zoyama became uh, integrated with the uh, physical world, which I had spoken about. So that's what we've been doing for thousands of years. The Messianic era is the merger of Yitzhira the level of God in that world with Asiya, where we are actually living in Asiya, and we experience the divine, incredible spiritual world of Yitzira, which is the messianic light. You see? 
And then from that's, that's until the end of 6,000. Then we begin to go and retransform. The spiritual world itself is transformed. You see, from Yetzirah to Bria, from Bria to Atsilas, and then in the 9,000th year, Atsilas will become Adam Kadmon, which is primordial man, which is Adam Abba. That type of reality, we have no idea what that means. You see, so you now see what's called the panorama. You now understand what we are doing. You understand the stages of when it occurs. You also understand what the Messianic era really is. It is a merge of Yitzhirah and, and Asiya to begin the preparation of inhabiting a completely spiritual world, which is Yitzhirah, right? And that changes itself, as I said, where God pervades it at different levels of intensity. And we have no idea even what the messianic era is in terms of the, the divine presence, Shekhinah intensity, let alone to understand what the upper worlds are. The only one who knows what the upper worlds are, really, in full, is the Malachim, or the angels, because they live in that dimension. We, however, who are confined to Asiya, we have no idea really what any of these things are. <clears throat> so you now have a good understanding of what's called the overview, the outline of the totality of creation. <clears throat> and like I said, at each level, our work was different. In the first six hours of creation, Adam right, was in Oedem Yitzirah. So his job, right, was to do the mitzvah of not eating from the tree. And then he would have changed Yitzirah into Bria. So he would have started the process uh, at a much higher level, where there wouldn't be an Asiya with a Zayama. But once he sinned, so he introduced Tumor, defilement, satanic defilement, and the world became defiled. It's called the Yitzhahara and so on. So for thousands of years since Odomarishan, which is 5,700 and what, in 82 years, we've been trying to rid the world of the Zoyama. See, uh, now, after that, and hopefully this year he will come, because it's the year of Shemitah, as I mentioned, right? So the Mashiach will come, right? And he will remove the Zoyama. And now you understand why there's no Sutton. How does the Mashiach when David kill the Sutton? Or rather, Why? The answer is because the Sutton can only exist in the world that's only Asiya, this world. <clears throat> but once the divine presence is revealed, as he is revealed in Yitzirah, which is the world, the up next world after us, then the Sutton does not exist. He is killed because he cannot exist in a world which is pure spirituality. And that is why Mashiach ben David kills, or I should say removes, the Sutton. And there is no defilement, you see? And therefore, there's no tumor, you see? Which is incredible when you think about that. There's no tumor, right? There's no death. There's no disease. Because all death and disease is the result of the tumor, the zoyama invading the physical body and ultimately causing sickness and death and decomposition and so on. But in any case, you now understand why the sultan dies. Because the Sutton cannot exist in a world that has Yitzhira mixed in with Asiya. You see? 
Because in essence, the Messianic era is the same type of era as Odom Arishan, the first man, was before the Chet. So that's really what the Messianic era is. We now return to a level that Odom Arishan lived in before he sinned. You see? Which was a level of Yitzira, you see? Um, and that's what he lived in. We, however, made it much worse by bringing the Zoyama into this world. So we've got to get rid of it. You see? Uh, so if you think about that, the Messianic era is what's called the beginning preparation for the transformation, the retransformation of the world from a physical to a spiritual entity by not only the removal of Zoyama, which is the uh, defilement or pollution of the Sutton, but it's also the beginning of the purification of spirituality itself, you see. That's really what the Messianic era is all about. And the Messianic era, like I say, is so different even from our world, you know. And just to give you an example, you know, how different can it be? And I can give you a parallel. Could you imagine a person that lived, right, somebody that lived in the year 1240? He's primitive compared to one today. Imagine somebody lives in the world in the year 1240, right? Could you imagine if you took this person and you brought him to 2021? What would he do? He'd have a heart attack. He could never assimilate the unbelievable cosmic change of the world. He has no conception of what a world, even in 2021, from the world of 2000 and uh, rather uh, 12, uh, 1240, you see. Same idea, see, that we have no conception of the, what, what the world will be when the world of Yitzhira, where the presence of God as he manifests himself in Yitzhira, actually merges together with Asiyah. We have no conception. And, uh, and God does that, obviously, in a gentle way, or else everybody would die, which is exactly what happened by the giving of the Torah, Mount Torah, where everybody died. And, 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 and because they experienced that type of, of Navur, which was something beyond, beyond imagining. Only Moshe Rabbeinu could survive because he was used to experiencing God at that level. You see, but the Jews who experienced God in Matantara wasn't, and therefore they all died. The only thing to consider, which is very important, is that God will not do that unless he prepares the Jews. God is not going to give a consciousness to, to Jews. When most Jews are gone, 11 million Jews are gone. And even today, people, how much really do they know? How much do they know of Torah and so on? We are so far, we are so much lower than what the Jews were even, even 200 years ago and so on. So God will not bring that type of consciousness to people that are completely removed. It's like somebody who has a filthy suit. You cannot bring him in front of the king. You see, like Yosef Atzadik when they took him out of prison. You know, it said... They took him, they changed his clothing, gave him a bath and all that. Because you can't stand up stand of Kapari uh, at the dungeon, at the level of dungeon. See? So that will happen also. 
before God can actually do that, they had to give <laughs> the consciousness of the Mashiach, or the consciousness of the Shekhinah, the level of Yetzirah. You have to elevate the Jews. How is he going to do it? What? It's really unknown. But I believe that what can serve that purpose is the concept, and I mentioned this many times before, is that uh, each Jew will know and learn Mishnayis Be'iyun. Because if you learn Mishnayis Be'iyun with depth, that is equivalent not only to learning, but to doing, as I mentioned. That learning Mishnayis uh, is equivalent to actually doing it, and so on. And like I mentioned last week, you know, that the word Mishnah itself is the word Nishama, the same letters as the word Nishama. And besides, the word Mishnah means Mishaneh, that there will be a change. To who? To the Nishama. But at what level? So the word Mishnah also has the same concept of Shem Hashem, the name of God, Nun, at the level of the 50th level of the holiness, which is the Orishan, by the way, because that's what the 50th level is, and so on. So this ultimately is basically what's going to happen, uh, and uh, these are the things that have to take place. And right now, when you look at the world, you realize that evil has its due, which means that evil is, is being given its last reign, its last ascendancy to commit all its evil. And in some way, God is going to turn it around to half iron with the blink of an eye. He will turn it around, and then all of a sudden, the whole messianic process will move forward again as it did before. And it stopped, as I mentioned. It will move forward again, and therefore, the Jews will be redeemed. Let us hope that this year, which is the, Messi- which is the Shemitah year, because it says in Sanhedrin, that the Mashiach will come, Marava, Mashiach will come in Mitzvah Shemitah, which means right after Shemitah is over, which is next year, basically next year, October, right? So therefore, Shemitah is a year of preparation. And I had mentioned also that Elo is a preparation for Rosh Hashanah or Shemitah, you see. <clears throat> so the world is changing in front of our eyes, incredibly so. Uh, very rapid change. So let's hope that this Shemitah will be the year of the preparation and that the Mashiach will come following year in October. Wouldn't that be great? Tafshin Gimel. Right? And that will be the Tiyash Nas, you know, Psichas Geula. That's Tafshin Gimel. That will begin the opening of the redemption itself. Thank you. Any questions? Yes. So now the ghoul yeah. got pushed off another year. Well, listen, you know, like I say, I don't charge tax. I just, I, 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 I just collect it. All right, as long as it comes already, I had enough. Okay, I'm sure. Got, what was that? Okay, so I have a question. So if this year is the preparation... So then, is is that the process of Hashem uh, uh, um, using our onishamas to 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 get us together? What happens? Well, before he does that, before he does that, 
you know, look, he's not going to put that type of consciousness in a person that will kill him. It killed the Jews who already were prepared because of Egypt, the, the, the plagues, the ten Marcus, and they were already prepared because of the Kriyas Yamsuf. It still killed them by the time they arrived at Mount Tera, at Sinai, Mount Sinai, right? So how can he do that to people who are a thousand miles away from what the Jews were at Mount Tera? Therefore, there has to be a tremendous surge forward of the Jews returning to do the mitzvahs, to learn the Torah and to do the mitzvahs. And then they could be spiritually ready, hopefully, to have a change in consciousness. You see? Hey, but, but how, how is we going to get all those Jews to start doing the mitzvah if they don't, half of them don't even know they're Jewish? That is basically unknown. But it will happen from the and I will pour out my spirit. <clears throat> no, it's, it's not going to happen in a way which we can predict, which could be natural. It has to happen in a supernatural way. Look, the redemption is supernatural because it's a change of the cosmos. It's a cataclysmic event that never happened before. Just like Egypt. Egypt never happened before. Who ever heard of the Nile River turning to blood? The whole thing was supernatural. <clears throat> and the Gula, the redemption, is be much greater supernatural. The redemption is not going to be natural. You know, it may start off in a natural way, but ultimately it's going to be supernatural, just like Egypt. Remember it says, <clears throat> Behold, I will redeem you. The latter one will be like the first. Just like the first was supernatural. It was extraordinary, right? The whole nature was violated again and again. That's what's going to happen with the messianic approach. Same thing. But it's going to become even greater because the redemption is the greatest moment in the universe. So how it will happen, we don't really know. But it will be supernatural. And because it is supernatural, the Jews will be able to awaken and return. So this year is going to be the year of supernatural because that's what's going to cause all of us to wake up and turn back to him. That is very possible, yes. That is very possible. Correct. So now the Jews um, in Matantara, they died because they weren't able to accept the level of consciousness of Olam Yitzirah? No, they were not able to. You know, it's the, the shock to the system of experiencing God, the way Moshe Rabbeinu experiences God, was overwhelming and they died. In many ways, it was like Benazai. Benazai was incredibly great and he and three others went into Pardes. They went into, actually, they, they had Ruch HaKodesh and they went into Olim Yitzirah. And Benazai was so overcome by the divinity, by the Dvekus, the God, in Olim Yitzirah, he died. That's what happens. You know, when God reveals himself to you in such a way, a person dies. 
That's how Moshe Rabbeinu died, and Aaron and Miriam, all of them. It's called the Neshika. The Neshika is when God will reveal himself in a way which is beyond the ability of the soul to remain in the physical body. That's what a Neshika is. It's a kiss. A kiss is a metaphor of an incredible ability to experience another being. That's what kissing does. When you experience another being as close as possible, you see. So they died, you see. And, they, and, and we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Akoyan, and even Miriam. They died from the Nishika. In other words, there are levels that we can tolerate, right? So even Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron and Miriam could not tolerate God at the level of Nishika. You see? Now the Jews who are much lower than that also could not tolerate what God revealed to them the two first mitzvahs of the Torah. You see? So they died. Uh, and so on. And they had to be revived. I mean, there are other understandings which I'm not going into, but basically they died. And this was after a preparation of all the supernatural events of Egypt. I mean, they went to the ten plagues. They went to the uh, Kriya Samsaf, splitting the Red Sea. They went through the 49 days getting ready to receive the Torah. And they still died, you see. We, who are a million miles away from what they were, everybody would drop dead. Like, you cannot uh, feel that type of presence and live. Uh, so, it, uh, you know, and, so at least what God has to do is at least get the Jews to the level of doing mitzvahs to again believe in God, have a moon and be talking, but to know the Torah, because the, that's the only way to be able to survive, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, withstand the unbelievable tidal wave of Kedusha, you see. So that's going to happen. How that happens, we don't know, but that itself will be supernatural. I'll tell you one thing, when it does happen, you will know. Okay, so when we're going to have Tehiyat HaMetim too. And we're all going to die. So are we going to, uh, uh, is that same process going to happen to us where we're going to experience uh, the revelation of God where it's going to come consuming and then we all die and then that's when Tehiyatamitim begins? Um, actually, what you ask is a good, very good point. It's not clear if everybody dies naturally or do they die because the experiencing of God is so great, and that's why everybody dies. You see, it's not clear. But that happens after Mashiach bin David, which is after the Beis Hamikdash, it's after Mashiach bin Yosef, it's after the War of Goig, Mogoig. It's all. It's after you know. It's it's after uh, everything actually. You know. So that's not clear. What causes the death? You see, but they have to die to be able to get rid of the Zoyama in the physical body. And they die, and they lie for two hours, and then they get up with a new body without Zoyama, you see. So that's technically in eight years from now. Well, it, it, yeah, could be. Could be, could be less. Oh, it could be less. Yes, Didn't it could be less. Didn't we say that takes 210 years? What was that? Didn't we say that 
Yes, once it begins, it takes 210 years to unfold until the last person gets up. Right. Yes. So now, um, does your level of revelation of God during this process, is it according to your, um, the way you kept Judaism throughout your life and kept mitzvah, or does everyone get the same revelation, amount of revelation of Hashem and the Shekinah? Can you repeat that? Okay. When Hashem does reveal Himself through Olam Yitzirah into this world, does yes. everyone get the same revelation at the, at the same level, or are people who are more are religious and, and more observant, they get more of a revelation than a, a person who wasn't? Um, I would imagine that it's different. Because everything is based on the level of religiosity of a person. Even if it's not Oilem Habo, for instance, Ganeden. Ganeden is not Oilem Habo. Ganeden really is Oilem Yitzira. But everybody there is receiving the reward in the same proportion as their religiosity. So therefore, when they do, but there's a certain minimum. So therefore, over here, by, uh, you know, when, every, when people do receive the, uh, in the Messianic era, it'll be probably the same thing. But there will be a minimum, you know, of experiencing God. But probably people who are devoted their lives much greater to religiosity will, I'm sure, experience God in a greater way. <clears throat> you see. So when you gave the pasuk that um, um, Hashem is going to circumcise the heart and then through that, the Ruach is going gonna, is gonna to come and then we're going to be able to experience Him. Um, you said that it, He's going to remove the blockages first. And He's going to remove the Zohama. But, yes, that's but right. But didn't we say that that part is after? Because Techiyat Metim basically is when we remove the Zohama. But we don't, don't isn't, it, isn't that after we already experienced the Ruach? Well, what's interesting is that you can remove Zoyama, but I mean, you know what, you can introduce, remove a certain amount of Zoyama, <clears throat> you know. Uh, that's why you have the, the concept called the mikveh, because that removes the, what's called surface Zoyama. That's really what uh, Tumi is. You know, it's, but uh, I thought Zoyama. you have to die to remove the Zoyama. What was that? I thought you have to die to remove the Zoyama. Yeah, you have to, you know, let's look at it this way. Every human has Zoyama. It's integrated into your physical world, into your flesh, okay? So that's what's called the, the major concentration. That cannot be removed until death. However, there is a thing called surface Zoyama, and that is Tumor. That is Tumor can be removed with the mikveh, you see, or the Poraduma. So what's going to happen is, you know, you're going to have a removal, uh, you know, on the surface, but the real removal, the, the, the complete removal of the Zoyama will happen later on. You see. So there are different stages of removal of Zoyama. You see. 
So this year could be the beginning of the removal of the Zohama? Yes. Really? Yeah. It, look, it has to happen at a certain time. And when it does happen, it's supernatural. We're not looking at an ordinary event, you know. And uh, I believe it'll happen as soon as evil has its due, which means right now evil claims, the Kitrugim prosecutions claim, you know, hey, the Jews sin tremendously, and therefore we have a right to dominate. So God says, fine. So we are watching incredible evil dominate. I mean, just take a look what happened recently with Afghanistan. We now have the uh, <laughs> possibility that all the terror organizations are now rejuvenated. I mean, they're all celebrating, whether it be Iran, right, whether it be North Korea, China, right? China and Russia. They, they, they're going wild they go because they see this as an incredible, uh, what do you call it, uh, strengthening Victory. of their ability to destroy the world or to dominate the world. So the world has now entered, because of this guy Biden, the world has now entered a much worse state of evil where they can really harm people. You know, so it's not just Afghanistan, the slaughter of the Afghanis. What they're going to do is now they can come to America and pull off another 9-11. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and so on. I mean, we have not even begun to see what uh, Biden has unleashed on the world. That's why what he did is catastrophic. But putting Biden aside and his administration, uh, the real concept is that evil has now grown tremendously in its ability to dominate and to destroy. And this is all part of the kitrug, the prosecution against you know the world and the Jewish people. So that has to be satisfied, like I once said. Justice has to be satisfied. Once it's satisfied, it's immediately destroyed. God does not play around with evil. He gives it its due. You know, he gives it what it, it deserves because of the sins of the Jewish people. Then as soon as they are satisfied, justice, he immediate, immediately annihilates, obliterates, eradicates evil. But we don't know when that we we do not know when that time is. You see, <coughs> but it's it's coming. Just hang in there. Oh, Rabbi, I have a yes. question. Yeah. So, is it possible that um, we sort of got a glimpse or a little? You said that maybe something was starting. Something started to happen, and then we got set back. And if that happened, then is it possible that we had some sort of an experience? What experience do you refer to? When you were saying that it seemed like the galula was starting a little bit, and then maybe we got a setback. Yeah. And now well, it's, it's not really where. So I, 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 I'm, uh, I don't understand what your point is. What was that? So what, what was it that we experienced when the Geula was starting? Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, why did I say, because uh, the, the answer to that is Trump. Because Asaph does chuva in the end. It's not Trump, it's Asaph, which I went to a whole, I have a whole shurim on that. 
that Esav in the end does tshuva, and he returns to being Rav Yavoyt Soya, the old will serve the younger. And therefore God allows him, because he almost did tshuva, to assist uh, Yaakov, you know, to do tshuva, uh, and so on. And that's exactly what Trump did. He restored major portions of Israel uh, to the Jewish people. And then he was kicked out. So the, the, the process really begins in many ways with Trump. Because the process I mentioned begins because the world has become incredibly defiled and degraded. Which I mentioned because of the uh, Supreme Court's decision that uh, gender, you cannot discriminate against gender. So we're looking at the marble all over again. You know, I've given Shurim on this, so it's all, it's all recorded. <clears throat> but that's what I meant. So, um, Rabbi, okay. you wanted me to remind you of, um, to, to tell the audience what to pray for on Rosh Hashanah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> I gave a Rosh Hashanah share, and what the uh, gist of that share was, is that what is ev- it's an evaluation of the tikkun process, <clears throat> and therefore that tells you what to pray for. You see, no, it's it's not that God is judging you personally, which He is, but that's because you contribute to the advancement of the tikkun process. But the real concept is the tikkun process. God has to decide how to advance that, the rectification of creation. And each of us plays a part. So, therefore, the major prayer that you have to say is not so much, well, please, God, you know, uh, give me long life and give me parnosa and health and shalom bayis, you know, my kids, nachas, and so on. <clears throat> Those are personal wishes. What really could or should influence God is where you say, let me, please, give me the wherewithal to advance the agenda of God to advance Tikkun. That's really what's in, at, in, you know, in consideration on Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> you see, see, it's not that you're asking for something personal, but you are asking that you should have all these good things and that they will enable you to do the Tikkun process, which is the purpose of God. It's the agenda. Now that's a winning argument. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would recommend, so that's the first uh, argument that you should present. And as far as I'm concerned, it's essential because that's what happens on Rosh Hashanah. The second thing is where you would say to Rabbi Shalom, please, you know, do not look at my sins. Do not look at my mitzvahs. Don't look at any of my merits or demerits at all. Just look at me and you love me. And just based on that love, you know, let me be able to survive and flourish and it should be a great year. Just because you love me and I love you. So you're not asking God to give you a good year because of your merits, your mitzvahs. Because, you know, what mitzvahs do we really have? You know, and what happens if they're insufficient? So the way to do this it's to say to the Bernstein, please, you know, don't look at anything. Do not look at, uh, you know, any type of, like I say, merits or demerits, mitzvahs 
or sins. <clears throat> Just look at the fact that you love me, because that's what you say. Because God, your God, loves you, and I love you, and give me the wherewithal to serve you, right? And to, in some way, advance the whole process of Tikkun. And you could say whatever you want, that God should give you the ability to bring other Jews back, or to help other Jews, you know. But more specifically, uh, to promote the, the existence and the belief in God throughout the world, or throughout your neighborhood, or your friends, your family, <clears throat> and so on. And that would seem to be the most convincing argument that you could present to God. Both of these ideas. You see? Beautiful. That's what I would say. But <clears throat> remember, the reason why I say that is because it depend- it's based on what uh, Rosh Hashanah is really all about. That's the mistake that people make. The greatest argument is when you say, let me advance your agenda. You see? Let me advance your agenda. <clears throat> because it's very interesting. Many times a person does not deserve to live for whatever reason. But God lets him live. You know why? Because God sees that he could bring Jews back. He can advance the Tikkun process. And in the end, that's the major uh, emphasis of God, is that the Tikkun you know, that the world should be rectified. So he will actually give life to somebody, right, that really doesn't deserve to live. But because this person is in concert with the Tikkun process, which is the agenda or objective of God, God gives him life. And more than that, he allows him to flourish. In other words, what, you, what you're doing is you are... Uh, you are putting the interest of God before your own. And that's the argument you're using to be able to survive and flourish and have all kinds of simcha in your life. You see what I'm saying? And you can only do that because you understand what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is really all about.